Where do we find hope when everything around us feels like it's falling apart? Do you have hope? Many of you know that um, I am blessed to be able to do a couple different ministries, and I have the gift of being able to serve as an army chaplain in the U.S. Army National Guard, where I serve sort of functionally as a pastor, um, as a counselor, as a caregiver to 600 U.S. Army engineers. And last weekend, um, I, on Friday and Saturday, was able to work with them. And on Saturday, I had a number of soldiers come speak with me, but I had one young man who came and spoke with me. And I won't mention any details, I'll protect his privacy, but I want to share with you a little bit what he came to me to talk about. He came into my office looking for hope. He was a young man who had been raised in the foster care system. He had experienced abuse. He had been neglected and left alone. And he had struggled with anxiety and depression. And yet this young man was making a terrific go at it. I mean, he decided to serve his country. He was in college, paying his way through college by himself and hoping to become an officer. Unfortunately, his grades have suffered recently, and he lost some scholarships, and he's unable to take out any student loans because he has no adults in his life who can co-sign a student loan with him. I couldn't believe it when he told me that. And worse yet, he may lose his opportunity to become an officer because of this. He might get kicked out of school, which means he loses his only home. He came to me and said, I have two days to pay $15,000 or I'm getting kicked out. And he came to me and he said, I know you probably can't help me, like financially. Yes, there was nothing I could do financially. He said, I just needed to talk to someone. And I kid you not, he said this to me. He said, I am an atheist and I believe that this life is all I've got. It is what it is, but I want to make the best of it. And then he turned to me and he said, I don't know how to have hope when things feel like they're falling apart. And unfortunately, I don't think he is unique. His stance was one that I'm sure we have all heard many times before from friends, family members, coworkers, neighbors. How do I have hope when it feels like my world is falling apart? How do I even take a step forward when the world feels like chaos? Where is hope for me? And the soldier turned to me and he asked me, he said, how do you have hope? Where do you find hope when everything seems like it's falling apart? Now let me tell you a story of a church. A long time ago, there was a man who came to a city and he came preaching the good news of Jesus. He came to the meeting places of the city, the synagogues, and he told the people that he had news, really good news. Something amazing has happened. There is a God who has created the whole universe. This is a God who is revealed in the words of Scripture. He's not like us in any way. He is perfect in every way. Yet this God loves you. He cares about you. He cares about you so much that He humbled Himself and He came to this earth in the form of a man. And His name is Jesus, the preacher told him. 
Yet this Jesus was despised and rejected. He was beaten and mocked. And He was crucified on the cross. But He did so willingly, the preacher said. He did so willingly because He knew what they were going to do. And He came to take the punishment that was intended for us. And He did not stay there. He rose again from the dead. And He ascended into heaven and He's made a way for you to be with God. He's made a way for a relationship with Him. He's made a way for forgiveness. And this Jesus will return again one day and He will make all things new. He will wipe away every tear from every eye. He will wipe away every injustice. He will set right every wrong. That's what the preacher came and said. And this news came powerfully. The people were stirred. God stirred their hearts when they listened to this preacher. And a gathering of people who wanted to know how to trust and follow Jesus was formed. But there were others in the city, and there were others in that synagogue, and they were jealous. And you know what they did? They went to the marketplace, they rounded up all the criminals, they hired them, and they sent them out as a mob and a riot. And that riot came after that little gathering of believers. They hated them for what they said. They placed indictments against them, saying that they were not only lying or or saying heresy, but they were committing a crime. They gathered up some of the believers and they tossed them in jail. And that preacher had to run in the middle of the night away. He had to run for his life. And as he left, that preacher thought, would this fledgling church be okay? What is going to happen to them? Will they hold on to hope when it feels like everything is coming apart at the seams? This was the church of Thessalonica. And that preacher was Paul the Apostle. And the book of Acts tells us that Paul, at that point in time, as he was separated from this little church, as he had to leave them in the middle of the night, he sent back Timothy, his apprentice, to go check and see what has happened. Did they hold on to hope? What has happened to those believers? And when Timothy returned to Paul, he came back reporting what he saw there. And we're entering into a new series here. A series studying the the letter, the book of 1 Thessalonians. And this letter... This letter is the moment, that first moment, that Paul gets to speak again with that group of believers that he was estranged from, that he was forced to run away from in the middle of the night. This is the first moment he gets to speak again with them. And this letter reveals, did they hold on to hope? Did they hold on to hope? And this is what he says. 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 1-3. You can find it in your pew Bibles. I also have it up here on the screen as well. This is our text for this morning. 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 3. The first one who can find it can call out a page number for me. 835. You win the sword drill. 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 3. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. 
We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. The opening moment of this letter reveals what happened. Did this church hold on to hope? And this letter is one that reveals the truth of a life lived in relationship with Jesus. For that church and for us today, 2,000 years later, that the followers of Jesus have hope. Where do you find your hope when everything seems like it's falling apart? We have hope. His name is is Jesus. And as we look to begin our study, we see right from the very opening of the letter what this letter is all about. These in some ways can feel like the throwaway verses, the verses that I just read. They're like the, the address on the envelope, right? Yet they paint the scene for the rest of the letter. And what's the first thing we see as we dig into it? Verse 1. The question that comes up is, who is this church? Verse 1, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I've already established that this is a pastoral letter. This is Paul checking back in. This is Paul writing back to this group of believers that had gathered. He knew them, he preached to them, but he's been separated from them. So this letter is coming from him, Silas, and Timothy. But the first question we ask ourselves is, who is this church. And the story that I shared with you earlier of this church, this comes directly out of the book of Acts, Acts 17. Perhaps more than any other New Testament book we have, we know exactly why and how and when the, book, the letter of 1 Thessalonians was written. We have the exact timing and circumstances for this letter because of what's written in Acts 17. Who is this church? They are a gathering of believers who heard Paul preach the good news. And he preached it for three weeks, it says in Acts 17. For three Sabbath days, he went into the synagogue and he preached the good news. And yet, only after three weeks, God stirred their hearts. And many Jews, many Greeks, and many prominent women came to faith, the text says. But this church didn't have it easy. The other members of the synagogue became jealous and they formed a riot and raised accusations that Paul, Silas, and Timothy were claiming not only heresy, but they were criminals claiming that there was another king other than King Caesar. So the rioters imprisoned many of the people from the church, including Jason. And Paul had to escape in the middle of the night, sailing away to Berea. And Paul had no idea what was going to happen to that little church. He had no idea what was going to happen to these men and women. So Timothy was sent back to check in on them. And it actually says this in the middle of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. It says, Timothy has just now returned, is what the letter says. He has just now returned. And this is what he says. This is amazing. I love that we, be, we are able to see exactly why this letter was written. Because I think it paints a picture for us of the dire circumstances and of the hope that is found here. 
And what does Paul say straight away? He says to the ecclesia of Thessalonica. This word is translated church, but literally it means a gathering or fellowship. And there are other ecclesias, there are other gatherings in the city that could have gathered around a job, a union, a, a fraternity. But Paul says, you are the ecclesia that is united and gathered around what? They are singularly identified by what? They're the ones who have met and belong to the Lord Jesus, it says in verse 1. They're not identified by anything else. And Paul is saying straight away, the single unifying identity of the church is that they are the ones who have met Jesus. So who is this church? They're the ones who are now in relationship with Jesus. But is this just like the formal title for the letter? Is this just the outside of the envelope? Are we really supposed to be reading into this at all? We still don't know exactly what Timothy reported back to Paul. Did the people stand firm or did they forget the good news? Is this just meant to be the address to make sure the letter gets to the right place? Did they stand firm or did they forget the good news? See in verse 2. Paul says, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. What makes Paul so thankful? Right? Paul starts almost all of his letters. Almost all the letters in the New Testament start with this, a thank you. Galatians is the exception. He was not very thankful for them. But Paul almost starts all of his letters this way. But this one is unique. He is effusive here. He is exceedingly thankful at all times for every one of them. There is an overjoyed nature to Paul's letter as he, as he starts it that we cannot miss. And what is it that makes him so thankful? What makes Paul so thankful? Well, the answer is verse 3. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had no clue how the church was going to respond. Would they even still be there? Was he sending Timothy back to Thessalonica to an empty house? Was he sending him back, maybe even worse, into a trap? The church could have given in to pressure. They could have given in and said, this is, this is too hard. We're, people are being thrown in jail. This is not worth it. They could have forgotten Jesus. They could have forgotten and given up their hope. But no, Paul says, I am so thankful because what Timothy has just now told me is that you have not forgotten, that you are standing firm. And his thankfulness is palpable. When the world looks like everywhere, there's just violence. There are crowds of people who think you are crazy. When the people around you are being persecuted for simply calling themselves followers of Jesus, will you hold on to hope? Will you have an anchor in the storm to hold you fast? Paul is saying yes. And not only that, but you, this church, you guys are exhibiting the three distinct marks of people who God has got his hand on. Your faith is at work, your love is laboring, and your hope is steadfast. It is enduring. Your hope is steadfast. And don't miss it. This word here is the same exact word that Jesus says in John 15 to his disciples. 
when he says, remain in me and I will remain in you. It's the same exact root word. They are remaining steadfast in hope. Paul is overjoyed in his thankfulness to God. And it's right here that we get to see what this whole letter is about. And this is what our whole series is about. Because this is a different type of hope. But what is hope anyways, right? This is a word that means everything and yet means nothing. Like I can say hope, like what is hope? How do you define that? And this is how we think of hope. We use hope to mean a wish for something in the future. Like, I hope I will get this job. Or I'm hoping we are able to afford our mortgage or our rent. It's a wish with a totally uncertain outcome. And moreover, its likelihood of happening is based upon our effort. The strength of its fulfillment is found in our desire. We, like, for example, if I was to say, I hope everything will be okay, what I'm saying is, if I try hard enough, I hope that by sheer effort that this thing will come to reality, that everything will be okay. And this is how the soldier was thinking as he was asking me about hope. He, said, he was saying, how do I hold on to my wishes for an uncertain future if life is just a numbers game? Right? And the chances of everything look bleak. seems like the world is in chaos and everything is stacked against me. How do I hold on to these wishes for an uncertain future? He's saying, what can I cling to to allow me to keep going when it feels only reasonable to give up? But in the Bible, the people who have met God have hope. Because hope isn't a wish for an uncertain future, or an uncertain outcome. Hope is a person. It's bound up in Jesus. It's embodied in Jesus. It's the confident expectation of what God has promised and its strength is in His faithfulness. Now let me give you an example to show how hope can be embodied. Another way we think about hope is that we find hope in people. Whether that's in our spouse for a life of happiness. We talked about that this morning in the marriage class. It's not going to end up very well. Or in a business partner to give us financial success. Or how about in a politician? No matter your political leanings, push those to the side this morning, please. I think this, this image captures really well that sense of how we can try to find hope in people. And what I mean by this is, we believe that if they hold up their promises, our uncertain future will be secure in them. And you know what the problem with that is, though? It's that the dependability of the hope is contingent upon the dependability of that person. And people fail. People are broken. The systems are broken. There's no chance of even hope in that sense. Hope is proven foolish. And as we look at the future, we wonder, how do I keep going? Who will be an anchor in the storm for me? Whose promises can I actually build my life upon? Who gives us secure hope for the future? No one. No one. Jake's being a real pessimist today. 
But what if there was someone we could trust to hope in? Someone so sure, so unchanging, it would be utterly ridiculous to not put your hope in him. It is sure. This is Jesus. He is God. He came to this earth. He endured our scorn. He took the burden of sin on himself. He went to the cross. And yet he was vindicated in the resurrection. He has never lied. He is the truth. The only truth in a world of chaos. And this is the promise He gives for the future. Jesus will one day come again and He will make all things new. Every injustice will be set right. Every tear will be wiped from our eyes. There will be no more crying, no more shame, no fear, no abuse, no poverty, no violence, and He will forever reign over all things. Hallelujah. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Right? And these are the promises for those who are in relationship with Jesus. And this is where the Thessalonians found their hope in Jesus. Verse 3. In your endurance inspired by hope, not in an uncertain future, not as an empty wish, but hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In the Bible, hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised and its strength is in His faithfulness. Paul is saying, I am so thankful to be able to say this. Church, you are truly those who are in relationship with Jesus and you are standing firm with a secure hope for the future. He's saying you have a hope. His name is Jesus. But how about for us? For us this morning. If you have met Jesus, you stand firm with a secure hope for the future. Because when we talk about hope, we're not talking about burying your head in the sand. We're not talking about a naivety sticking your head deep in the sand and crossing your fingers. We're talking about remembering and trusting that if God was faithful in our past, His promises for our future are trustworthy. And we can live a life where His promises for the future give direction for our lives in the present. And if you have experienced His love, don't for a second lose hope that that love will keep you in the, in the future. You have this hope. Our world doesn't have a lot of great sources of hope. You watch the news, and there's not a lot of good news. There's just not a lot of good stuff out there. Yet we live in a world that thinks there's a ridiculousness in putting your hope in Jesus. In many circles, Christians are the ones who are considered, the ones who have abandoned all reason, looked at as backwards, gloom and doom, pessimists with blinders on. And we might feel pressured to give up hope. The Thessalonians didn't have it easy, and we won't either. But we should not only stand firm, but we should be the models of lives that are steadfast in hope. The soldier I mentioned at the beginning, he said he had no reason to have hope. Yet he asked me, how do you have hope? And he actually said this to me. He said, I assume you stay hopeful. This is really interesting, right? Like, he assumed that I had hope. I assume you stay hopeful. How? And the answer is simple. His name is Jesus. Does that mean I will have a steady and smooth path? No. But I have a hope 
His name is Jesus. And He will never leave me nor forsake me. Does that mean I will have a life of success and ease? No. But I have a hope. His name is Jesus. And He satisfies my heart. Does that mean that life will be roses and sunshine? No. But I have hope. His name is Jesus. And He not only rescued me, but He will guide my path and give me a home. And one day, He will call me home to be with Him forever. This is the hope that Paul said was on display in the Thessalonians. And may this be true for our church 2,000 years later as well. This morning, I want to introduce you to this letter. It's the letter that over and over again reminds us that the way we see our future sculpts the present. The way we see our future sculpts the present. And if we lose sight of the fact that no matter the hardship or trials we face in this life, Jesus has secured a firm foundation for us, then we will lose sight of the hope we have in Him. From the day that Jesus ascended into heaven, the church has been the people who have been expecting and waiting and knowing His return is coming. He will one day return. And knowing this promise impacts the hope we hold here and now, today, in this very moment. And this is a letter that prods us to put on that hope that we might stand firm and live forward in a secure and joyful expectancy for what God will do next. So Community Church, will we remember the hope that God has given to us? And there are some in this room who perhaps feel this morning like there is no hope. And I want you to hear it. There is always a hope in Jesus. His promises are sure, they're certain, they're trustworthy. They're what you can build a life upon. And they're what sculpts and gives direction to your choices and your actions here and now. Don't lose hope in Jesus. But for all of us together, let me ask, will we continue to put on hope? Paul will say later on in this letter, he will say, for us, the church, for the church in Thessalonica, to put on the hope of salvation as a helmet. Will we put on this hope every day? And to do so means to grow in trust as you follow Jesus. Hope is a deep, firm, and established trust that what Jesus has promised is our secure future. And you put on that hope as you sit at His feet. As you hear His words and Scripture spoken over you. And as you listen to Him speak in prayer. This is how you grow in hope. This is how you put on that hope. You spend time in relationship with Him. If you don't bask in your relationship with Jesus, will, will we stand firm and ready when the world asks us, how do you have hope? Is there hope? And if we don't put on hope, how will we respond when the future of our lives and our world feels more like this? Chaotic and blurry. Will we feel lost? Because our lives living steadfastly in hope in Jesus should be like putting on old 80s anaglyph 3D glasses. 
if we forget our hope, the world will feel more like this, chaotic and blurry. Will we feel lost? The world wants to paint a picture of an answer and a path forward. And I would say the world sees things in just red. It sees the brokenness of our world and it provides an answer. You know what it is? Try harder, be nicer, live justly. And there's a hint of truth, a piece of reality in that. But it's incomplete. It's utterly incomplete. And the answers the world provides leave us with a picture that's blurry. A future that is blurry. But church, if we only see the work of Jesus as a past event, then we will be blind as we look for direction in our lives. If we forget the hope found in trusting Jesus' promise that He is going to be faithful, when we look at the future, it will still feel blurry. You can put on the glasses now. You're like, 80s technology was not very good. Put on the glasses and in the same way, put on hope. Put on hope in Jesus. Every day, remember the hope we have in Jesus. It's certain because it's a hope built upon His faithfulness, not our own. Live your life in actual, full, trusting relationship with, of Jesus. Seeking to grow in your trust. Seeking to know Him firmly and deeply in His promises in your life. Putting on hope is trusting Jesus' promises and expecting His return. And this will bring a world that looks chaotic and blurry into a little bit more clarity. <laughs> a lot more clarity. Remember your hope. It's like popping on these ridiculous 3D glasses. You all did look ridiculous. That's why I didn't join you. <laughs> and I don't think you're going to forget these glasses anytime soon. And that's why I did that. Because I don't want you to forget the hope. I want you to walk out of this door, out the door, the sanctuary, and remember that hope. I pray you won't forget that hope. Whether you will face persecution and pressure like the Thessalonians, or you simply have someone who is asking you, do you have hope? Remember we have hope. His name is Jesus. In relationship with Jesus, we stand firm with a secure hope for the future. This letter is going to be fun. We might have to pull the 3D glasses back out again, so we will collect them at the end. God, through Paul, had a lot to say to this church, and he's got a lot to say to us. Dig into this book. I invite you, I encourage you, dig into this letter. It's brief. It will take you 10 minutes to read. You can read it every day. Soak in it. And I pray that as you do, you will be drawn back into a remembrance of the joy of your salvation, remembering God's faithfulness to you in Jesus, remembering His promises over our future, that whatever storm or trial, persecution, challenge, death that arises, no matter how blurry the world feels, we have a God who's called the end. It's a victory. It's Jesus returning in glory and setting all things right. We're the ones who've met Jesus and have a relationship with Him. 
So stand firm in that. Stand firm in that. We have a hope. His name is Jesus. You thank God for that with me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You are so good. You are so good to us that while we were yet sinners in darkness and broken, hopeless and helpless, Lord Jesus, You died for us. Hallelujah. We praise You. You are so good to us. May we never doubt that You will keep walking with us. That You are holding these things together. That You have a plan for this world, for our future that is secure. And it guides and directs our path each day. Give us that hope. Help us to trust in You. Help us to put on that hope this year and this season, Lord. And may that hope be infectious into our neighbors and our world around us. And may it be a seed for the gospel, the good news of your love to go forward into this city, God. We lift up this city before you this morning that your news might go out and your hope might be made known. We praise you, Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.